Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. And I want to invite you to come and worship with us. And we have Sunday morning services at 9 o'clock and 1030. Love to have you come and be part of our worship experience. We have a wonderful worship team. Uh, We have an amazing children's ministry, a wonderful youth ministry. And uh, also for your kids, uh, on Wednesday nights, we do a whole lot of things on Wednesday night. We have this program called The Wana. And uh, Awana is a a children's ministry, and it's really a Bible memorization program. It is incredible. Uh, Your kids will learn God's Word, and it's basically three components to the Awana ministry. Uh, Component number one is you have what is called a game time. Now, now that's what gets the kids excited about coming. And uh, I know some people listening said, well, they ought to just come because they love the Lord. And and I want you to know, uh, most of us are doing what we're doing because there's some other kind of motivation behind it. I mean, after all, Uh, How many days would you keep going to work if you weren't getting paid, right? Uh, And so God rewards us when we do good things. Now, it doesn't help us with our salvation, obviously. Salvation is a free gift that you can't earn. But you know, once you've earned that salvation, uh, God gives us some works to do. And God gives us uh, this law of sowing and reaping. When we do good, he blesses us. And so uh, the game time is kind of like that hook that gets the kids excited about coming. The second component of Awana is the Bible memorization time. Uh, They have a handbook, and uh, not only do they memorize God's Word, but they also are taught how to rightly interpret God's Word. You know, it's so important that we rightly divide the Word of Truth. I mean, that's the theme verse for the Awana program. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who is not ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. So we have game time, we have handbook time where they learn uh, the verses, and then they have a devotional time. And that's always a neat time. Uh, That's where they're taking uh, God's word and they're actually applying it to their lives. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity of speaking with the kids uh, in all of their devotional time. So I went to three different clubs and uh, it was such a fun time. And I shared with the kids uh, from God's Word, and it was such a blessing. I tell you what, I had such a great time with them. And so I want you to know, we love kids at Hickory Ridge Community Church, and uh, we love teenagers, and uh, not as much as we love the kids, but you know you know how teenagers are. We love the teenagers too, but uh, we're so excited about what God is doing. And so I hope that you come check us out. And uh, last Sunday, it was such a joy. Uh, We baptized, I think, five people last Sunday, and uh, two of the people uh, that were being baptized were children. And uh, it was so cool as I was up there baptizing them, uh, the back door, the the sanctuary door swung open, and about 35 kids came barreling into the worship center, and uh, they wanted to see their friend get baptized. So we had set aside a couple of the front rows for them to come on up there. And I tell you what, that just made my day. And uh, to see those kids coming forward, to see their friends being baptized. And so we had a great time of worship. And then we honored our widows in church. And so God is doing really incredible things at Hickory Ridge Community Church. And I know God's doing good things at your church as well. And uh, I want you to know, I pray for the pastors in our community. I don't know all the pastors in our community. I know basically ones out in in, uh, Southern Chesapeake area uh, where we minister and down into Moyoc. But uh, I pray uh, for our churches in our community. I pray for our pastors because I realize when God does something, it's bigger than just one church. And uh, and, and it's much bigger than one pastor or, or one ministry. 
Uh, when God moves, he moves across a region. And so I'm so thankful uh, that God is moving and he's doing unbelievable things and lives are being changed and lives are being transformed. Well, today it's part three, okay? Part three on a personal relationship with God. And uh, because of our time, I'm going to uh, jump right down to Psalm 121. And uh, what I want to do by the by starting our broadcast, I want to read Psalm 121 to you. And then I'm going to give you three takeaways, okay? Uh, Psalm 121, and uh, we're going to begin at verse number one. David says, I lift up mine eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Verses three and four. He will not let my foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. Verse five through eight. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word. Well, yesterday I said there's three things that impact or influence our belief in God. And we're, we're looking at the reason of why some people appear to do really well in their faith with God, and then they seem to abandon their faith. And this is true with pastors as well as true with those who are just involved in serving the Lord. You know, every month, 1,500 pastors abandon the ministry, and there's many reasons why that happens. Many people drop out of church. As a matter of fact, churches, it seems, are really struggling right now. But I want you to know that the greater church is growing like wildfire. Sometimes you see pockets of areas where it doesn't seem like the church is growing as fast as it is in other parts, and that's true. Uh, And here in America, it seems like the church is kind of plateaued or it's not really making a big dent and changing and influencing our culture. And I think that when we understand what is happening, we realize that God is everywhere. He's in all places at all times. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. Many people understand that, but God will manifest himself to those, if I can use a a theological term, to those who are his elect. He has a special manifestation for them. Now, we can sometimes miss the manifestation of God. We can't deny his presence. We can't deny his power. Uh, We can't deny the fact that he's all-knowing. These are really uh, irrefutable laws of who God is, but our attitude will impact what we believe about him. You think about our attitude, okay? Uh, You think about your children. In the corporate household, a bad attitude would get you in a world of trouble. Listen, when a person's attitude goes south, it's not going to be very much longer until their behavior is following that attitude. The same is true with a good attitude. Uh, That's why I always say the greatness of a person is never determined by their aptitude. It's always their attitude. Listen, your aptitude, you don't have a whole lot of control over that. God has given you a mind, and and, and some people have a higher IQ than others. Uh, That's just the reality of life. You don't have a whole lot of control over that. One thing you have a lot of control over is your attitude. You know, one day I was counseling a couple, and and this couple, their marriage was, was fractured, and it was falling apart. And so I said to this couple, I said, now listen, can I ask you a question? Do the two of you pray together, asking God 
to help your marriage. There was an awkward silence, and one of the spouses said, I don't want to ask God to help my marriage. I want out of my marriage. Her attitude was, I'm shut down. I'm over it. I don't care about this thing. No matter what you say to me, it's not going to change my attitude about him. I have given up. Even prayer is not going to save this marriage. I don't want to even pray about it. Oh, the attitude destroyed that marriage. The second thing that influences us is our behavior. How do we behave? Listen, if you want to do something that's wrong, you will eventually find justification in doing something that is wrong. Uh, we all tend to do that, don't we? We do something and, and uh, we know deep down that we ought not to do it, but guilt begins to take over. So we've got to find some, some relief for this guilt. And so we say, well, let me find a loophole. And that's what they did in, in the time of Jesus. Remember the, uh, the Pharisees, they came to Jesus and they were trying to tempt him or trying to test him. And the whole subject was the subject of divorce. And, and, and they said, well, listen, Moses gave us a loophole on how to get out of a marriage. Moses says, you write a bill of divorcements. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, you know why that was done? Uh, the whole reason that Moses allowed for a bill of divorce was not because God changed his view on divorce. It's because of the hardness of the people's hearts. Yeah, they wanted to get divorced, and they were determined to get divorced, and they were determined really to, to live in legalized adultery is what they were doing, and their hearts became hard. And so Moses says, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, uh, that's what's going to be done. Here is what you can do. The third thing that influences our belief in God, not only our attitude, not only our behavior, but, but our circumstances. You know, sometimes our circumstances don't play out the way that we wish they would. You know, it always amazes me when I think about difficult times. You know, hard times will either make you more like Christ or hard times can drive you away from Christ. I think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about that yesterday, and, and they were in a bad situation. I mean, their lives were on the line because they refused to buy the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar, and so they had to face that fiery furnace. But that didn't change their view of God. Their circumstances wasn't contingent upon whether or not they were comfortable or uncomfortable, whether or not they were facing life or facing death. They were determined that God was going to take care of them. It reminds me of the story of a preacher from yesteryear. Somehow, somebody in his congregation was extremely upset with him. Now, I know that those of you listening to me, you never get upset with your pastor because he's a wonderful man of God. But I've discovered through the years, sometimes people are not, uh, not really happy with the pastor. And, and this one guy was so ticked off with that pastor. He says, Pastor, I want to meet with you. And so the pastor set up an appointment with this uh, gentleman. And uh, the gentleman came in and sat down with the pastor and began uh, to explain to him exactly why he hated the pastor so much. As a matter of fact, he says, you don't know this pastor, but I walked in here and underneath my coat is my pistol. And he took that pistol out of his coat. And he says, pastor, I hate you so much. I'm going to go ahead and end your life right now. Well, you think that pastor would be a little bit worried, but he wasn't. He stood up to that guy and he says, and he pushed the gun aside. So now listen, you cannot, no matter how hard you try, you can't threaten me with heaven. And he walked out of the room, and that guy didn't know how to respond. So he put his pistol away and walked away out of that room also. Listen, I want you to know, if your circumstances dictate your relationship with God, 
You're going to be up and down and all over the place. You're going to be a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Listen, when you know Christ is in control and that he's going to take care of everything, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how good it gets, God is still God. He is still in control. God will take care of you. David says, where can I go to flee from your presence? God will take care of you. Well, let's look at Psalm 121, and let's look at the three areas that God can take care of us. Number one, he is our provider. David says, I lift up mine eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Now, I love this. We discover here that the maker is also the maintainer. Some people wrongly think that when God created the heavens and the earth, he kind of did like the old-fashioned wind-up alarm clocks that you used to have. Remember those? Now, if you're old like me, you remember those. They still sell them. Uh, just a, a manual clock that you crank it up every night, but it runs down, right? Every day you had to crank it up again. And some people think that's how God created the universe. He set everything in motion, but it's just winding down. Listen, not only did God create all things, he is the sustainer of all things. In Colossians 1.17, it says, God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, when God provides for us, I think he does it primarily through three ways. Number one is through our own hands, right? By enabling us. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses says this, remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you that ability to get your wealth so that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. I think most times that God provides for us through our own hands. God gives us talents. God gives us intellect. God gives us all these abilities. He gives us all these gifts, and he does it so that we can provide for our needs. There's a second way that God provides for our needs, and we could say not only through our own hands, but also through the hands of others. That's right, by using others. Now, Philippians 4.13 is a verse that you're very familiar with. You probably have memorized this. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, the emphasis here should not be on I, but rather on the direct object of Christ. It is Christ that enables us to do all things by strengthening us. And I'll generally stop at verse number 13. But Paul goes on to verse number 14 by saying, Nevertheless, you do well in having shared in my affliction. Paul is reminding the Philippians as he is locked up under house arrest in a home in Rome somewhere. He says, I want you to know you have shared in my afflictions. You have provided for me by sharing in my affliction. So God provides by his own hands, or by our own hands, by the help of others. And then number three, sometimes God provides through the miraculous. Sometimes God just steps in and says, I'm going to take care of that. You know, one time I was uh, getting ready to, to take my final exams in college, and I owed some money on my school bill. And because I owed some money on my school bill, they were not going to let me take my final exams without going down to the financial office and, and working out a payment plan. And I was so worried about it. I knew that I owed about $800. Now, today, $800 is a good sum of money, but back in, in 1986, $800 was a lot of money. 
And I went down to the financial advisor and I was going to beg and plead for the opportunity to take my exams. I said, give me that exam pass. So I take my finals and I went to the office and said, now listen, I, I owe about $800 and I, I promise you I'll pay it. I'm going to go home and I'm going to work and, and uh, I'll get it to you just as soon as I can. I'll sign a paper if you want me to sign a paper, uh, but and I'll pay for that. I, I'll take care of that. i just give you a little time. And, and, uh, and, the, and the woman who was in charge, she was a dear friend of mine. And uh, she was a financial advisor. I knew her because uh, because I worked at the bookstore and and I would bring the, the the funds. I was the cash control manager at the bookstore. And I bring the funds from the bookstore and all the vending machines on campus to to her office, and she would count it and record it and all that. And so and she says, well, well, wait a minute. Let me let me look at your your account here, Calvin. And she says, you know. Um, I see. I show a, a zero balance, and I, I said, well, wait. Here's a statement that you just sent me, and it shows eight hundred some dollars. And she says, well, God has miraculously taken care of your account. Somebody came by and took care of that account. Yeah, that is a miraculous intervention. Somebody paid my school bill. Now, I don't know how they found out that I owed that kind of money. And I don't know how they were even to take care of it. But I can tell you one thing. That was a miracle that took place. Listen, God is our provider. Number two, not only is God our provider, but he is also our protector. David says. Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 121, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. Oh, the watcher is always awake. When I think about how God protects us, I think about Ephesians chapter 6 and putting on the armor of God. You know, that piece, every piece of the armor is meant to protect that soldier. Ah, the belt of truth, for example, protects us from deception. You know, when you're born again and the scales of your eyes have been taken off, you see the truth and the truth sets you free. So the belt of truth protects us from danger. And then there's the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, that protects us from sin. You know, we are declared righteous because of what Christ has done for us. That it's actually a declaration. We were sinners, but God declares us righteous because of what God does for us. And then God gives us this breastplate of righteousness that protects us from constantly falling in sin. And, and then we have our shoes, uh, which is the gospel of peace, right? Uh, the Roman soldiers would have these, these shoes put on their feet with spikes on the bottom, and, and that would give them assurance when they went to the battle. Uh, that their feet would not fall out, uh, slip from under them, the gospel of peace. You know what that does? That protects us from worry. Oh, so many people are worried this day and age. And I want you to know, I come from a family of warriors. Oh, that's right. Yeah, my my family, we love to worry. You know, somebody says worrying uh, is like sitting in a rocking chair, going back and forth. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Worry does the same thing. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. But I want you to know that God has given us the gospel of peace, and that protects us from worry. God has also, in his armament, given us that shield of faith, and that protects us from doubt. Oh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, I want you to know that if you walk by faith, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Faith protects us from doubt. We also have the helmet of salvation. You know, that protects us from death. You know, if you take a blow to the head, you're going to die. Uh, if you get too severe of a blow to your head, you're going to die. 
You know, you take a, a severe blow to your arm and you can still live. You can get, take a severe uh, blow to your foot or to your leg and, and you can still live. But if you take a blow to the head that's severe enough, it will take you out of here. But I want you to know the helmet of salvation protects us from death. Salvation promises us everlasting life. And then we have the sword of the Spirit. That is the only offensive weapon on the armament. And that protects us from evil, protects us from temptation. Remember when Jesus was being tempted? Oh, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was mighty hungry, and the tempter came along and tempts him. And what does Jesus do? He gives him the word of God. Ah, the the word of God, that sword of the Lord, protects us from evil and protects us from temptation. And then there's one thing that we sometimes forget. I think there's actually seven pieces of armor. Uh, Too many times we just look at six, but I think there's a seventh piece, and that is praying continuously. Uh, That's how Paul wraps it all up. Uh, Some would say that as we're putting on these pieces of armor, we should be praying continuously. And you know what prayer does? Prayer protects us from fear. You know, every time I take a trip, uh, I'm not really a a fan of jumping on a, a plane and being stuck in this tube that's closed off at all points. I know that's not my idea of a good time, right? Uh, some people love to jump on a plane. My wife, she loves it. She, she loves to get on. She's it's so relaxing being on a plane. You don't worry about traffic. And, uh, you know, you have people that come and, and, and they give you a little snack on the on the flight. And, and she just loves it. She puts on her headphones and, and she'll listen to a book or something. Uh, but to me, flying is sheer terror, right? I'm going to be up there and somebody else, my, my life is in the hands of somebody else, a pilot that I don't even know. And I'm in this tube that I cannot get out of. Uh, but you know what I do? I pray and I get people praying for me. And, uh, and I'll usually get anywhere between 25 and 30 people praying for me. And uh, I take a mission trip and I said, now, listen, guys, uh, your pastor is kind of a coward when it comes to getting into that plane. And uh, I'm not afraid of crashing. That's not the problem. I'm afraid of getting stuck in that thing because I'm claustrophobic. And so I, I tell people, okay, this is when my flight leaves, and uh, this is when I will arrive. And uh, so I want you to pray. And if it's a two-hour flight, I, I want you to pray off and on for me to, uh, during those two hours, okay? And then I give them my return flight. And, uh, and so praying continuously protects us from fear. You know, as I think about life, so many people uh, miss the protection of God. And, and they miss it because they may be experiencing some disappointment with God. You know, when I think about disappointment, uh, that word disappointment means a feeling of dissatisfaction when one's hopes or desires or expectations fail to come to pass. You know, sometimes it may appear that God has disappointed us. Sometimes people do disappoint us. Oh, I want you to know, disappointment, it is inevitable. You can't get around being disappointed with people. As a matter of fact, I tell people who come to our church, we have a a class called Starting Point for our new members, and I says, I want you to know right off the bat that I will disappoint you. Yeah, I can't be God for you. I'm only an under-shepherd. I can't be uh, this person that will never disappoint you. But I want you to know something. I says, not only will I disappoint you, but you as a member of Hickory Ridge Community Church, you're going to disappoint me. Oh, yeah, we're going to, from time to time, disappoint one another. But if God can protect us from being disillusioned in our times of disappointment, we can discover that God can do great things. But sometimes it appears that God doesn't act 
when we think that he should act. And it's not because he's unable to do so. Rather, he simply chooses not to step in. Now, this sometimes may seem like God is acting arbitrarily on our behalf. It seems like God chooses to act or, or not act according to his perfect will and perfect according to his perfect timing. And that's true. You see, nothing happens that is out of God's plan. He has control over every molecule that flows around in the universe. And God's will encompasses every act and every decision made by every person throughout the world at all times. I want you to know that God is always gracious, but God is also always true. In Isaiah 46, it says, From the east I will summon a bird of prey, and that bird will come and from a far-off land, and that bird will fulfill God's purpose. Now listen, if even birds somehow are part of his foreordained plan, how much more are we more of his plan? You see, the key to avoiding disappointment with God is to align our wills with his and to submit to his will in all things. You know, Jesus did this when he was in the garden. He prayed that God would allow that cup to pass from him. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We've got one final point that I'm going to have to cover in tomorrow's broadcast. And the fact that God is our perpetual help in our time of need. So would you join me tomorrow as we look at verses 5 and 8 of Psalm 121. And in the meantime, if I can help you in any way, shoot me an email at onehopeforyourheart.com. Spelling out the word one, O-N-E, onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. You can also call me if that's easier for you, 757-421-7500. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the broadcast. I will speak with you tomorrow. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.